0: Hey everyone, you're listening to Something Real. On today's Something to Talk About episode, we're continuing in a discussion about John the Baptist and him sending a messenger to essentially ask Jesus to confirm that he really was who he said he was, even though John knew he was who he said he was. You know, it's, it's easy to struggle with the doubts even today, and this passage in Luke really deals with that and reminds us exactly why God is such a good father.
1: Good morning, Stacy. Good morning. So as we're looking at Luke 7 again, starting with verse 18 now, we're, we're getting into a different kind of a story about Jesus. And it's one that kind of, I think I interpreted wrongly for a long time and missed the main point. Not that the things that I was getting from it were wrong. I was just missing what the main point was. And uh, as we see in Luke 7, Jesus is talking um, He's talking to his disciples, and John the Baptist's disciples come to him and, and say, hey, John's got a message. Uh, he's just wondering, can, can you please you know, tell us? Are you the one? Are you the one we're waiting for, or is there somebody else? And that seems like a really weird question <laughs> for John. Right. So, you know, for the guy who has been the forerunner of the Christ, that's what he's been doing. He baptized Jesus, identified him immediately as the Lamb of God, And heard heard God say this, saw the Holy Spirit come down. John of anybody has most reason to know. So why is he saying this? And it just seemed like a weird thing to me.
0: Ditto. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, why? I guess I'm just asking you then, why? Well,
1: and as you look at the, the the passage itself, what he is. Uh, what he's saying, what John is saying, is coming from prison, right? So he's right. been out preaching. Now he's in prison. So life's kind of gone badly for him of late. And many theologians and and commentators over the years um, have said he's not asking that question for himself, not because he's doubting, but because uh, it, this is for the assurance of his disciples so that they know, takes their doubt away. And maybe that's part of it. That John really didn't doubt, but it was like rhetorical, right? So that seems to me that's how I always interpreted it. Was I mean that makes more sense? No way does John the Baptist do it. Does he do that? But then you look at the the tenor of it and the context of it, and it you know as I'll just read from uh, verses eighteen and following. Says John. John's disciples told him about all these things that Jesus was doing, the raising of the uh, the raising of the dead. the widow's son and uh, the healing of the centurion's servant and so on so john's disciples told him about all these things calling two of them he sent them to the lord to ask are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else so as just even there the tone of it the tenor of it doesn't seem to be that john's trying to teach them it doesn't feel like a teaching moment it feels like a You know, I I don't know what to do right now. Kind of moment, Um, which would seem strange for somebody who gets it all. And then I think of my own life, and there have been lots of times over the years under duress when things are falling apart. When you think it's going this way, and life turns on a dime. You know, and and all of a sudden it's like, am I completely wrong? (laughs) Has God abandoned me? Am I misunderstanding? Did I did I miss something here? And if I I just look at John as a hero and I just want to make John this guy who gets it and never struggles and never wavers, then I have to kind of make that a rhetorical question. I have to say, John can't doubt. John can't wonder that because he already knows. But then I remember that the scriptures don't hide the struggles that people have so you know i've spent and john's a lot of, just a person he's just a person <laughs> so i'm you know i just spent uh, a lot of time here recently in uh, first and second samuel uh, with a uh, group of pastors as we were going through uh, that material and, and what struck me is how david's story is it's not just bathsheba and you know what happens after that and killing her husband and all that David's messing up from the get-go. He's got multiple wives. He's doing all these things that are... He's as bad as Saul in his actions a lot of the time. But he's repentant with it. Right. And the scripture never hides that. It doesn't say David is a man after God's own heart. is Israel's greatest king. And he just keeps on doing wonderful things and never does anything wrong. No, it's a constant struggle with failure all the time. Constant battle between doing the right thing and following the flesh. And we see that with the...
0: Uh, A.k.a. life.
1: <laughs> right, yeah. We, we see that with all of the the uh, disciples that we see in the New Testament. Right. The only person we don't see that kind of a story with in the entire Bible, obviously, is Jesus. Right. So that, a side note, that's such a striking contrast. In a book that, uh, that never holds its punches, never, never pulls its punches, never holds back, never tries to sanitize the story, Jesus is the only one who comes through without sin. That tells us something about the credibility of it. It tells us something about the nature of of who he is, uh, as opposed to all the other wonderful heroes of the Bible, as we might see them, the saints of God, who are by human reckoning not Mm -hmm. saints. All of the saints that people would recognize as some higher level of righteousness, they're not. They're people people who struggle. Who, yes, turn to God. And that's you know, David's thing is he's constantly pursuing God's heart. Even when he blows it, he repents. When he's confronted, he repents. So John here, as just another person like the rest of us, there there is no other reason other than trying to make him into a hero, that we would try to make this say something other than he's actually asking this question.
0: And here's the here's the thing he's going right to the source.
1: He is. <laughs> Which and,
0: is important, I think.
1: Right. And, and I think, you know, as you look at it, through the rest of the story, uh, <coughs> there's a there are, are, are two kind of um, two big points here. One that is the point of the story, why it seems to be included here. And the other is sort of a subplot that it is connecting it with all the rest of the gospel and something that we need to recognize as well so when john sends them to ask then in verse 21 they get there they get there to jesus and it says at that very time jesus cured many who had diseases sicknesses and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind so he replied to the messengers this is interesting he doesn't quote scriptures directly he quotes them indirectly here he doesn't say here's the logical case for this he says show them the evidence so, go back and report to John excuse me uh, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard be witnesses right. go and testify to what you're, what you're actually seeing here the blind receive sight, the lame walk those who have leprosy are, are cured, the deaf hear the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor these are the actions of Messiah this is what the scriptures say Messiah will do, go tell John this is what you've seen Now, John knows these things. Mm -hmm. He's already fully aware of it. He knows the identity of Christ. Go back and tell John what you see here. This seems to be an uh, an affirmation of everything that John already knows. The next verse says, Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Another translation says, uh, Blessed is the man who is not offended because of me. So John is in a situation now where he's alone, he's imprisoned, he's in danger. He obviously has some sort of contact with his messengers, with his disciples, because he's able to, to talk to them. He calls them to himself, so maybe he's calling the visitors to the cell. I don't know how that works, um, but he has connection. He's still incarcerated. He's still uh, in a spot where, you know, eventually he's going to be beheaded, and while he may not know that that's coming, he's got got to have some sort of an ominous feeling. It's not going to be good. Any of us who are in jail, not that I've I've been in jail, but I know lots of people who have, it's not a good feeling, you know, even in the best situations. So Jesus is saying, look, don't fall away. See this. And the evidence points to him as Christ. And
0: he's kind of telling, going to tell John through these messengers what he already knows.
1: Exactly. And I feel like we do
0: that a lot, too. I already know this, but I get... Tripped up in my own. Jump. Every
1: Sunday, right? I and mean, that—that's what we're doing when we come to church. We're getting these reminders right. of the things that we know that we've learned, and and some things that we haven't. And right. we're all at different places in the journey. So some of us have heard these things a hundred times, <clears throat> and some—that's the first time we're hearing
0: it. Mm-hmm.
1: But we're affirming, reminding of all these things that we just need to keep hearing. And and uh, you know, Paul said that. I think Peter uh, alluded to this as well. Uh, Paul says it's not trouble for me to tell you this again and again you need to hear it again and again I think it's sort of implicit or at least uh, at least something that we can infer that Paul is saying I need to hear this myself again and again and we see that in his inner dialogues and some of his writings where he'll be saying something and it's almost like he's talking to himself saying okay I got to remember these things Mm -hmm. here I am but nonetheless you know and so that seems to kind of be where John is right now I'm struggling and i'm doubting and it reminds me of of a, a verse that you know we've talked about um in other conversations lots of times in, in mark 9 where jesus is um is being called to heal uh, a boy a son with a, an evil spirit and mm-hmm. the father says jesus says, with if you believe everything's possible and The Father says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Help me to overcome these parts of me that don't believe. When I I really do in my rational self, but my emotions and my feelings and my flesh can take me to the dark side so quickly, Lord, help me through that. And what's going on here with John reminds me of that. So what Jesus says about the evidence of, of Messiah is crucial in that it's connecting all of the messianic plot points here but it doesn't seem to be the point of the story because after these disciples go back to John, Jesus turns and talks to the crowd. And it it seems exceedingly clear from the text that what he's doing is, because it says he's talking to the crowd about John, Mm -hmm. he's explaining to them what just took place. So he's there teaching. John's disciples come and say, Hey, uh, Master, the prophet, the forerunner, the one who baptized you is questioning are you really the Messiah? Are you really the one? And Jesus gives him the evidence, and then he says uh, verse twenty four after John's messengers left left Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see a reed swayed by the wind? in other words did you go did you go out to see John because he's weak willed because he's spineless because he wavers and is fickle? No, you know better John is As sturdy as it gets, but John is still struggling. So Jesus seems to be defending this doubt. And he goes on, uh, if not that, if you didn't go to see some reed swayed by the wind, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes, in other words, somebody who's profiting from the gospel and has this affluent, easy life? No. Those who wear expensive clothes and and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. So again, affirming that John is the forerunner. He is not just a prophet, he's the prophet. He's the prophet of the Messiah to prepare the way to turn Israel's hearts. I tell you, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John. John's the greatest man to ever walk the planet. And yet he has doubts. And then Jesus makes this con- <laughs> makes me feel a little better. <laughs> doesn't it? I think that's a th- that is like the And point. Jesus
0: isn't condemning him for that. He's saying No, in fact, know, he's, he's defending
1: opposite. him. He's letting everybody else know. Hey, stop looking down on John. What well, you know, I, I can just picture the crowd, right? So they're coming and saying,
0: Oh, John's asked
1: John's doubting. Right. Hey, what's going on? And Jesus says, Really? You're in question, John? He's already backed it up. Right. Let me confirm for you anything that's going on in your mind is just deception the reality is john is the greatest person ever born because of who he is as the the forerunner the prophet chosen before birth to go before the christ and to turn the hearts of the people
0: you know when i read that this morning before we met um that particular line stuck out to me because you think about all these you know great biblical characters people you know Moses and, right. and Noah and, and you know, all these, you know, greats, even the kings. And it struck me, I mean it makes perfect sense when you think about who he is, but it struck me to think that John is the greatest man that ever walks. Away. Right.
1: Better than Moses, right. Better than Abraham, better than David. Right. All of all of these and, and as you look at these, <clears throat> you've got covenants with these major characters, right? right? He's a greater prophet than Elijah. Yeah. Wow, how does that happen? Right. You know, Elijah was taken up into heaven. This
0: dude in prison is the greatest man.
1: (laughs) Which also tells you something about, (laughs) it kind of undoes all of our prosperity teaching and God wants me happy kind of thing. Here's the greatest man ever, and God sees fit to allow him to be beheaded unjustly. Wow. Mm -hmm. And his own son Jesus goes to the cross. So we're going to see that throughout the scriptures. That those who belong to God are elevated, but also suffer, and we don't escape that suffering. And just because we belong to God doesn't mean that we'll never have moments where our flesh dominates our thinking. We have to come back from that. And I don't know that you know that we need to look so far as to say John's really you know he's really questioning, he's really doubting right. as much as in but this moment. But look at his situation, right? In it's, this moment, I need an affirmation. Right. Please tell me. I, I know it. Can you tell me again? Can you just remind me of what I know I know so that I know it? And yeah, it's, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Very much that same thing. In Psalm 103, the psalmist writes that the Lord knows our frame. He knows that we are but dust. It comes right on the heels of him saying that the Lord is compassionate to his people. Mm -hmm. So he gets us. And that doesn't excuse our weakness, but he knows our weakness. He understands our sins, our struggles, our strongholds. And it doesn't mean any of it's okay. But it also doesn't mean that, that needing affirmation, needing a, a reaffirmation of what we know is a sinful thing. It's right. not. And so many Christians think, boy, if I, if I struggle in my faith, if I have moments of questioning, uh, clearly I'm failing God. Right. Maybe I'm not even saved and that's the opposite of what Jesus is saying here. It's the opposite of what what we see throughout Paul's writings. And it's interesting that he finishes it out by saying, you know, as John is the greatest of all, yet I'm telling you now, the one who is least in the kingdom of God, in this new kingdom, new covenant under Christ, the one who who receives Christ and becomes God's child through that is greater than John. Right? Wow! John's still under the old covenant. He sees the Messiah. He's moving in that direction. He's leading the people there. But John himself, greatest among men, still isn't part of the new kingdom yet. Anyone who believes, anyone who comes to me, anyone who's a part of this this kingdom of God, the very lowest level of that, newborn believer, is greater than John the Baptist. How huge is that? And regardless of wrestling with doubt maybe your faith is weak there's a reason jesus says faith is small as a mustard seed it's not talking about some great faith right just a little bit of faith to be able to see what you don't see to know that even though i don't get it god's in control
0: even in the hardest times absolutely you know it reminds me of breaking it down very simplistically here um there's a max lucado children's book my mom got for george my little guy um and it's called.
1: Is it the oak tree one? No, it's oh, it's I new. Know.
0: It's called "I'm Not a Scaredy Cat." Oh, okay. Um, and in it, you know, this this cat goes through a bunch of situations about these little things that scare him, whether it's a a band on the street or a donut maker or whatever. And then it it uh, reiterates this prayer throughout the book several times, and the prayer is. God, you are good, God, you are near, God, you are here, and God, you love me. And as I'm thinking about this passage, you know, it just kind of reiterates the fact that, yes, we all have doubts at times, whether yeah. big or small, and we all get scared at times. And I think in those moments, we are we are called to reach out and right. say, God, I know you're here. That's right. Help me.
1: And, you know, <laughs> Sometimes, my mother has said lots of times, she's learned more from children's books right. than from any adult books. You know, yeah. Just to, to get those concepts that get deep in our hearts. And Locato has a great way with words to be able to do that. Something as simple as that right. children's book prayer right. can be crucial to us just to remind ourselves of those truths. Yeah, don't look down on that. <laughs> no, that's, that's, I mean, those are profound truths. To know that God is good, that God is near, God is here with me, and that he loves me. That's the most profound truth any of us can grasp.
0: As simple as it is.
1: Huge. Right. Absolutely huge. And that's why, I'm starting to get into bigger concepts and I don't want to go Sorry, too yeah. far, but, but that's why the fear of God isn't the same as fear the way we might think of it, being afraid of God. It's recognizing that God is the biggest, quoting VeggieTins, these kids (laughs) things have some great concepts. God is the biggest and he's on my side. My dad's bigger than your dad. You know, my, God is ultimately the only one that is worthy of actually fearing.
0: And not just fear, but everything under that umbrella, you know, doubt, uncertainty, whatever.
1: So all of the things that could cause me to be afraid Mm -hmm. when I actually encounter God the only appropriate... Francis Chan does a, a whole thing on this, on the fear of God, that is tremendous. Uh, it's in his Basics video series. But this, this isn't like working up some reverential fear like we've been taught in Sunday school a lot of time. If you actually encounter the living God as he is, you are struck dead. There's a right. reason no one has seen God without... Nobody sees God and lives. To be able to see God as he is, to truly encounter him... Absolutely mummifies us petrifies right. us with fear because he's not this little God that we've made him out to be C.S. Lewis covers that really well in his depiction of Aslan mm-hmm. uh, and that he's, he's not safe but he's good right. that's the concept again we're kind of jumping from, of from Luke 7 <laughs> to uh, what Lucado says in the book that to recognize God is actually on my side. He actually cares about me. And that doesn't mean that everything is going to always go my way, but it's always going to go eventually, ultimately, a good way. Everything that happens, no matter how horrific it is, has an ultimate purpose in it for my ultimate good and His ultimate glory. And and we know that from Romans 8, 28, that He's working all things together for the good of those who love Him or called according to His purpose. So as we see this in John, the doubt that we see here in John isn't necessarily the same doubt we sometimes think of, because so right. we think, "Well, John's really questioning. Maybe God doesn't exist. Right. Maybe Jesus." Right.
0: That's, think,
1: yeah. Let's not go that far. I'm not even saying that it's not that. It's saying I it think doesn't it's have important
0: to, to look where John's situation is right now.
1: John has you're... a bad scenario, right. and all of the cloudiness of his circumstances because he's a is, person. Absolutely, <laughs> is blocking out the right. sun. Right of who jesus is and
0: how much does that happen to us on a regular basis he's just saying remind right just remind me
1: I, i i believe lord i believe help me to overcome these parts of me right now that are scared that don't believe i'm scared i'm lonely i just want to know i didn't waste my life did i misinterpret something did i get this wrong just remind me Sorry about the message. Speaking of there. reminding them uh, that, that might be a message that says it's time to wrap up. So. It might be.
0: That's a good idea. We should do that here. But uh all right, we'll see you guys next time.